0: Welcome back here, WGR Sports Radio 550. Brayton Wilson here with you for our live NHL Draft Lottery coverage. And uh, joining me here on the Wester Hotline, we're going to be joined by Steve Corneano. So you can find him on Twitter at TheDraftAnalyst. He's also a contributor at TheDraftAnalyst.com and also for uh, the sporting news, covering the NHL and doing some draft draft stuff there. Steve, uh, it's been a while since we've last talked. I appreciate you coming on this evening and uh, taking some time to talk some hockey with us.
1: Yeah, anytime, Brayton. Listen, it's a big night uh, for the Sabers right now. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a make-a-break night, but uh, they could maybe use a little bit of good luck uh, considering what's happened the last few weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly this time here in Buffalo has been kind of a roller coaster ride with uh, with emotions, just of the firing of Bottrell and then Adams comes in and he's forced to fire most of the people on the staff and today they they hired their director of scouting and made, in uh, you know, Jason Nightingale, the director of analytics, their assistant director of scouting. So, certainly a uh, wild roller coaster here in Buffalo, but uh, obviously, Steve, the, the Sabres could luck out a little bit winning the number one overall pick. I know the last time that you and me did this on the draft lottery night was 2018. They had the best odds to win the lottery. They won. They got Rasmus Dalin Now tonight, it's Alexi Lafren that is the number one consensus pick in this draft. I just want to get your thoughts because I see Lafreniere as kind of like a guy who is definitely a franchise player, can be the face of your franchise, but he's almost, to me, he almost seems like he's on the fringe of potentially becoming that type of generational player. I want to get your thoughts on Lafreniere and, and where you kind of see his outlook for the NHL moving forward.
1: Well, first you have to start off with the the fact that there are a lot of similarities between Lafreniere's pre-draft resume and Sidney Crosby's pre-draft resume, not only because they both played for Ramouski in the Quebec League, but they're the only two players that won the CHL Player of the Year award twice before getting drafted. So that's one thing. There's a lot of lot of big big-time players that have come out of the CHL that didn't have that or don't have that distinction. Uh, in addition, he, he was the lead uh, leading scorer at the World Junior uh, World Junior Championships. He was the top scorer in the MVP at the Ivan Holinka tournament in his draft minus two season. So uh, the superlatives are there. And then, of course, when you watch him play, where he's a physical, talented, finesse winger, basically. He's not a center. He's a winger. Um, So he's a very rare breed, especially in this day and age where you have this menacing type of a player. But he's also got the hockey IQ. He's got the smarts. He's got the compete level, which is what so many coaches and – Really, fan bases as well. You want to see your players play hard and not kind of rely on just their god-given talents. He really goes out there every shift and tries to become the best player. And that's kind of like what Sidney Crosby and Alexander Ovechkin and Connor McDavid are. So uh, I won't go as far as to call him a Crosby-type player just yeah because Crosby was just ridiculous in his uh, two years at Ramuski in terms of point production, almost like I'm on a Mario Lemieux kind of a level. Right. Whereas what what. Lafreniere did, though, still. Very impressive. And, of course, going to the World Juniors in your draft, you're in dominating and being the MVP. That's kind of a big deal when the entire hockey world is watching.
0: Steve Cornelianos, at the Draft Analyst on Twitter, joining us here on the Western Hotline talking about the 2020 NHL Draft. So obviously, it's kind of a toss-up after Lafreniere. Obviously, Lafreniere consensus number one. You have him number one on your rankings list, your final draft rankings list. A lot of others have him on their number one. Number two is an interesting one because... Uh, Quentin Byfield was a guy who was thought to contend for Lafreniere at one point, maybe at the start of the season to be, to take over at one number one. But now, uh, it seemed like that he's going to be the number two guy, but also Tim Stutzla is there competing with him for that number two slot. Uh, you know, if you had to take one over the other or, you know, just, just comparing those two or contrasting those two, what stands out about both Byfield and Stutzla and, and what makes them
1: special? Well, I have Byfield at number two and still to number three, and it's very close, like you said. It's the first time that we're actually having a discussion for number two in quite some time. If you go back to 2015, we knew it was going to be Jack Eichel. In 2016, we knew it was going to be Patrick Laine. Uh So, and even with Andre, especially the call 2018 and so on and so forth. Uh, so this is the first time we're actually having this discussion where the number one is solidified. Now we're talking about number two. Schuster is basically an explosive, dynamic, fun kid to watch. He can play center or wing. He, for, for all intents and purposes, he dominated the German elite league as a teenager playing uh, in a top six, uh, six role for a very good team uh, in Adler Mannheim. Whereas Byfield is basically a power center. He's almost six foot five, and he's an August birthday, so he might—he's not even done growing yet. Probably you're looking at uh, at his max. He'll be about 6'5", 225, but he could skate. He's got excellent vision. He's a playmaker, and he carried a very thin Sudbury team this year. Uh, He didn't really dominate the World Juniors the way you kind of uh, – the way Lafreniere did. But then again, Canada doesn't really invite the really young 17-year-olds to that tournament. So the fact that he even made it uh, should go in his favor. So if we're going to talk about pure upside, to me you, you need that dominant big center. You need like a Malkin type. And that's exactly what Byfield is. He may not as demonstrative, maybe not as physical as you'd like him to be, but he's definitely a tough player. Whereas Stutzel, he's the guy you pay to go see. I mean, he's just a lot of fun to watch. He's explosive in open ice. He makes those around him better, just like Byfield. But uh, you really can't go wrong with either one. I mean, it's just really versus you have the, the, the European who's a little bit slighter versus the big power, typical Canadian center. So uh, I got to give the edge to Byfield. On top of the fact, he's also a two-way center. He kills penalties. He's really good in the face-off circle. So, slightest advantage to to Byfield.
0: So, obviously, with those two, I kind of talked about it a little bit here where, you know, Byfield, I think, needs another year to kind of continue to grow his game and to kind of continue to build into that type of two-way centerman that, you know, was kind of expected him. I know some people have compared him to Evgeny Malkin. I'm not personally a, a guy who likes to make those type of comparisons, like NHL comparisons to a prospect. But looking at Stutzla, Stutzla is certainly interesting because he played so well in Germany last year. He's still a little undersized. He's continuing to grow a little bit, but he was dynamic in that way playing at a top level in Germany do you think either of those guys could be NHL ready and, and whether it's contributing or playing more of a developmental role just what are your thoughts there
1: uh, if you asked me last year I'd say both would be but after seeing Jack Hughes and Capo Kako, who we, we all thought that they were going to be NHL ready and called the trophy favorites uh, but they both had a lot of ups and downs in their in their rookie seasons I saw some analytics. Uh, a deep dive into Kacko and said he was the worst forward in the NHL. Obviously, he's only 18 years old. Uh, But so I I think that it also depends on which teams do the drafting. Uh, If you look at all those teams in the lotteries, maybe outside of the Sabres and the Ducks, uh, they're they're all just pouring out the seams with prospects, uh, and they're more than willing to play these kids. So maybe not as much pressure necessarily to bring them up right away. Uh, But I think, listen, physical maturity isn't that big of a deal anymore like it used to be. So even with Stuttgart's about five eleven, six foot, a buck seventy five, I don't think it'll be a problem with him. Plus he you know, the German league's pretty physical. Not as uh, physical obviously as one of the, the North American leagues, but it, you know, they hit and uh, he did a lot of good work in the corners there. So obviously it'll be dependent upon the teams that do the drafting. If I would if I would make that decision though, I'd say that both would be ready but definitely want to shelter them in the beginning. But I agree with what you said about Five field. He may need another year in junior. He he was pretty good this year about top ten in scoring or at least points per game, but you want to see him have a Lafreniere type of a dynamic season where he's the unquestionable top player in the junior circuit.
0: Steve Corianos, NHL Draft Analyst, at the Draft Analyst on Twitter, joins us here on the Western Hotline. So we got the top three out of the way. You know, the, those are the top three. Uh, prizes that a lot of those teams that are hoping to win a draft pick uh, in the top three of the draft lottery tonight, those are your guys you're focusing on. Who is next on this list? I mean, because, you know, you got your number one in Lafreniere, no doubt. You got your two, three. Those three. They're kind of maybe in their own category. But who's right after the the top three guys? Who Who is – I know you have Cole Perfetti, number four. You got Marco Rosso, Rossi, number five. But, like, Who do you see kind of coming off the board or, you know, maybe a little earlier in that earlier range there? And and just give your thoughts on some of those guys that are available.
1: Well, really, you you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Once you get past uh, Byfield and Stutzler, you really can't go wrong in any direction. It's just a matter of personal preference. It's a matter of what you value more. The reason why I have Rossi and Perfetti there is their hockey IQ is just off the chart. The thing is, though, is that the players I have thereafter – Uh, Rodion Amirov, Lucas Raymond, uh, Alexander Holtz. These are wingers. It was brilliant hockey IQs, but they could also score. Then you have the two defensemen, Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale, one a lefty being Sanderson, the other being a righty in Drysdale, both very gifted, high hockey IQs. And then you even throw the goalie into the mix, Yaroslav Askarov, who's one of the top gold-hunting prospects we've seen in the last 20-something years. So it really can't go wrong with this group. Uh, You're going to come away with a home run, at least – in terms of draft resumes, what they've done and what their upside projects them to be. Uh, You even have a big two-way center an Anton Lundell from Finland who some kind of compare a little bit to Alexander Barkov, although I don't think Lundell is probably all that creative. He's more of a scorer and a two-way type. So, I mean, in that regard, I have Perfetti and Rossi there, but uh, really, if if you're picking five or six or seven, any need that you have will be addressed if that's what you want. I mean, of course, you could use the best player available – uh, and teams obviously their, their definitions of best player available vary, but from a need standpoint, every position can be uh, is represented in that let's say four to eleven range. So uh, you know if you want a pure goal scorer, you got Perfetti, you got Holtz. You want a two way type, you got Amirov, you got Lundell. You want a franchise goal, you got Askarov. You want a Mitch Marner type, a playmaking winger who could also snipe it, you got Raymond. So. Uh, it's it's a really top-heavy draft. I really think that – I say this usually every year, but it's actually a good year to be bad. It's a good year to have that top-ten pick. Uh, but I, it really, I really can't – there are some guys that are predicting in that top-ten, like Seth Jarvis and Jack Quinn, who are a lot of people are very high on. They they might be considered to be in that elite group of uh, forwards. So it's it's actually pretty deep. It's a, it's a pretty deep upper half. And uh, I, I would say once you go out of that top-three, though – no one really knows
0: how it's going to go. And, and obviously, kind of spinning off your last answer, so the Sabres have the seventh overall pick. Let's say that they're picking anywhere between 7 and 10. Obviously, 10 is the worst-case scenario because you're you're having all three of the teams that you know made the qualifying round, got that chance to play. That's something I want to ask you about in a little bit too. But uh, what happens sure. if the Sabres end up in that range of 7 to 10? They need a second-line center. That is their most pressing need behind Jack Eichel. They had it in Ryan O'Reilly. They traded him. They tried to have Casey Middlestad fill that role. Didn't work out so much, and maybe it will work out down the road, but obviously not right now. But they need a second-line center. Are you looking, maybe if you're the Sabres, to trade that pick, or would you hold on, draft one of these top guys in the top ten, and, and take that opportunity to develop that guy and see if he works out in the next couple of years?
1: Well, there's a couple of things to consider. Number one, they drafted that – second-line center type last year in Dylan Cousins, and he, he could play wing as well, and he checked a lot of blocks. He, he's that enthusiastic, tough Western Canadian. Uh, well, he's not from Western Canada, but he's the Northwest Territories, but uh, he played in the WHL, so he's exactly the kind of guy you want. He's like a Ryan O'Reilly type. The problem is that he's young, so you got to wait to see what he develops into. The other issue is that, they didn't hit a home run without Nielander. They ended up trading him, and he was a first-round pick, a high-top-ten pick in 2016. And the Casey Middlestat thing, we still don't know. I think we might have to wait another year or two uh, to see what he develops into, but he's clearly not ready to take over that role yet. So how do the Sabres view this draft? Remember, they got a whole new staff. So are they viewing this through the lens of let's draft the big home run? We're picking at number seven or eight. Uh, do they draft the need? Uh, I know goaltending they have Ukapeka Lukin who's a great great goaltending prospect but it, it wouldn't hurt if you maybe add a little bit of competition to that and added a guy like Askarov. but then again they need speed on the wings they need a, a a they need finishers so a guy like Raymond or or, or holtz would fit into that uh, whereas perfetti I think Profetti's a little bit more like Casey middlestadt uh, in terms of his style like he's not a super explosive skater but he's more of a elite playmaker and uh, has that wicked shot. So I could see that being a fit. But, you know, Marco Rossi, he's smaller, but he's a two-way type as well. He's got brilliant hockey sense. Uh, so I, I would not really go about it from a need standpoint. Uh, but then again, the Sabres, you know, their the prospect pool, it's, I'd say it leans more heavily towards the defensive side, where you got Lucan and you got Ryan Johnson, you got Matias Sanderson, you got Jacob Bryson. So maybe start, you know, this is a long-term process. Start beefing up on the wings or maybe try to make up for the mistakes made with Alex Nylander. And if you want to call middle stat a mistake, uh, you know, you could look at it from that way as well.
0: So, Steve, obviously I know you haven't done your final uh, draft, mock draft, but let's say the Sabres are picking seventh and everything kind of stayed the same. All the picks are where they are. And Sabres pick seventh overall and they select...
1: I would take Alexander Holtz. I just think he's the, the perfect complement to a guy like Jack Eichel. I know that you guys need that second-line center, but you got, already got the guy like Cousins in it. With Holtz, he's a low-maintenance sniper. He's got the best shot, release, and accuracy of anyone in that top 10. And he played in the Elite League in Sweden for two straight years now. So if you watch him play with U Gardens, he, he's just a low-maintenance sniper. It's exactly what you want. He knows how to get open. His stick is always at the ready. Uh, and so if you look at the, all the, the really good Swedish forwards out of this year's crop, and there are a lot of them, pound for pound, he had the best year. I think he had the, the third or fourth highest under-18 scoring average in, in the Swedish Elite League history. And two of the guys ahead of him were Peter Forsberg and Marcus Naslin. So uh, Jeff Skinner, we know he's going to be there for quite a while. He didn't have the kind of year we expected him to have. And, of course, you got Victor Olofsson as a lefty. But that right shot, that right shot sniper, some of the Sabers could use. And I do think he'll be a best player available type at that slot
0: and last thing I want to ask you Steve is just your thoughts overall on the draft lottery format do you think do you think that it's a good format do you think that it should only be the seven teams and also on top of that what are you what are your thoughts about the 2014 playoff format coming up here moving forward and if you think that it's actually going to be able to get done
1: well I love the playoff format because I'm a hockey fan and any any type anytime you add more teams to the playoffs so I'm all about that. And I'm an old school guy, but for the list, anytime you add extra teams to the playoffs, we always complain about it with baseball. And now we're glued to the TV sets every time you get a wild card playing game or what have you. So I I support that. As far as this phase one, phase two stuff with the lottery, it's really just to attract attention. The NHL needs to kind of capitalize on the lull that there are no other leagues playing right now. So what in what they're trying to, what I think at least they're trying to do is have two possible big time prime time events one being the phase one lottery. If you have a playing team win one of those slots, oh, look at that. You have another excuse to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of hockey fans root to their TV sets. The NHL needs to make money. They lost a lot of money because of the COVID-19 issue. So uh, I really feel that it's not necessary to to make people wait again for another lottery. They should have just waited for the play-in rounds to end and have a regular typical lottery. But, uh, you know, this is uh, why they have marketing types and, from a TV ad revenue standpoint, uh, gaining new fans, this might work out for them. So, look, we're talking about it, so clearly it's working.
0: Steve, I want to take the time to thank you for uh, for joining me here this evening. Appreciate your input, as always. Hope you and your family are safe and well during these times, and, and really hopefully we get the chance to see some hockey and, tr- and talk again sometime soon uh, about actually – Hockey being played on the ice and, and all that. So, thanks again for uh, for taking the time and be safe.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brayden. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch